is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The angry mob, the angry mob, the angry mob, even though these were just peaceful protesters. Those people are flailing and wailing in front of the United States Supreme Court. Did they become angry in the last three weeks because of Brett Kavanaugh or the last three years because of President Trump? I don't think Mm -hmm. so. Did you see some of these people? They've been marinating in a toxic brew of rancor and bitterness for quite a while. Uh, Let's not forget the same geniuses that predicted a huge romp by that woman who lost in 2016 are the same people predicting a huge win by the Democrats this time. And now, Stacey Washington. That woman who lost in 2016. (laughs) I love it. Oh, that was Kellyanne Conway. Just always awesome. I want to give you guys a quick update that I got from the White House Press Corps listing here. This is from the White House Intra-Agency Task Force to Monitor and Combat Trafficking in Persons. They have an annual meeting, and that was today. President Donald Trump delivered remarks at the annual meeting of the President's Interagency Task Force, PITF, to monitor and combat trafficking in persons, which is chaired by the Secretary of State and aimed at combating all forms of human trafficking. This meeting of the PITF will be the first held by the Trump administration and also will be the first meeting since it was established since 2001. Again, Eric Holder, if you were so awesome at your job, why didn't you request that President Obama hold an annual meeting with stakeholders to better manage human trafficking in this country. Last I checked, Eric Holder was a man with a permanent tan like me. I'm sorry. So since he was in this historic role, it was so awesome that he was first, you know, he's the first black AG, but what did he do? You know, who cares if he was the first purple spotted AG? What did he do? Was he even good at his job? I think we all know the answer was that he was not. So anyway, that's happening today. Mainstream media is not going to report on that. Um, A lot of people in attendance at that meeting. The trafficking event began with Ivanka Trump offering support to victims of the hurricane. And then she had a group of people with her who she described as survivors of human trafficking. And they sat to one side. Her quote was, human trafficking devastates people of all ages and backgrounds and is a threat to national security. She said modern slavery generates an estimated $150 billion in annual profits, making it one of the most lucrative illegal businesses in this country. I'm sorry, Eric Holder, what are you doing about that now that you're in the private sector? Now that you have, he can literally walk into any security company, any company that has anything to do with security, the law. He spoke at the uh, International Society of Police uh, just like last week. My dad was there. That's how I know he was there speaking. I mean, come on. Come on now. What are you doing, Eric Holder, besides telling people when people go low, kick them? Our prayers are those with our prayers are with those who lost their lives and their families. She noted that thousands are displaced and that all residents should heed local warnings and instructions. So Pompeo was there standing to the right of president Trump and president Trump thanked him and others for working on the effort, including UN ambassador, Nikki Haley. And um, there was, Still, uh, obviously, the president was still speaking. And this is a little bit ago. This is like an hour ago. He finished speaking at 2.30 Eastern time. So just before this show came on. um, And his quote was, our country will not rest. This is the president. Our country will not rest 
until we have put these vile organizations out of business and rescued every last victim. We will not stop until we have stamped out the menace of human trafficking once and for all. Now, remember, we were told by President Obama that we could not stamp out ISIS. It was here to stay. You know, it was just something. It was one of the new realities of dealing with terrorism in the world. Now ISIS is basically eradicated. So when President Trump says he plans to stamp out human trafficking, I believe he will at least make a concerted effort to do so and that he'll probably get a good dent into it before he's done with his one or two terms. He'll be he'll be working this thing out again. It's not about uh, President Trump's white or, or anything like that, that President Obama was black. It's about performance. What are you doing? So they also had full quotes on um, the hurricane. There, there were a lot of uh, like press questions about that. And he answered. And then, of course, there was the lunch today with Kanye West and Jim Brown. Kanye West wasn't the only one who was there. Jim Brown was there also. And they had lunch together and talked about prison reform and um, just some other things. And it, it was just, you know. This is one of those meetings that no one wants the president to take. No one wants to see Kanye West go to the president and meet with him and have lunch. No one wants to see Jim Brown there because they have the permanent tan. And, and I'll tell you, that's an indicator that people aren't really caring about constituents. And, and I'm sorry that this is the truth, but the WikiLeaks emails prove The Democrats don't care anything about helping blacks. They just want the votes. They want to harvest that 90% of those votes so they can stay in power, but they don't care if the black community is improving. Meanwhile, Donald Trump does actually care about that. Is he perfect? By all means, let's be real here. Of course not. He's a human being. But is he not improving the economic situation of Americans regardless of their race or ethnic background? And isn't that what we want? I actually never wanted Barack Obama to say, well, I'm the black president. I'm the first black president, so I need to take care of the black community first. But it would have been nice if he had made some policies that would have improved things for people in the black community, as well as his mega donors and people who, uh, you know, are, are Soros monkeys. It would have been fantastic if he could have just done that. And that's the difference. Donald Trump's not saying I'm only going to work on this group or I'm only going to target that group or it's only the rich people or it's only the middle class. He's just trying to improve the regulatory environment so that businesses and the private sector economic engine can take off. Huge difference in the perspective there. So it, this is not about because I've, I've even heard someone was saying, well, this isn't about parties, you know. The, the Jesus isn't here for uh, donkeys or for elephants. Of course not. He's here to save everybody. He's here. He's, he's the word of truth. He's also here to divide. He's here to cut through the garbage. And he, the word says he will separate mother from son, husband from wife, because the truth is the truth. And some people are going to go to the side of the truth and other people are going to wallow around in the lies. So this is not about party per se. But then again, if you look at those platforms, some may write. One of those party platforms calls for a whole bunch of stuff that if you go to the Bible, that is verboten. Now, you're free to do anything you want. Free to believe anything you want. Free and 
also free to receive the consequences of anything you want. So, you know, um, yeah, I'm going to have to keep on doing what I do. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm going to have to do. So I want to get back to my show sheet because we have Gary Randall, senior pastor of the Apostolic Sanctuary of the Quad Cities. You know, he's a frequent guest on the program. It's been just a teensy bit since we've spoken to him, and he's going to come on and talk to us about will America ever return to a state of civility. And um, they also discovered this secret underground tunnel, a solar-powered tunnel. Now, I would like I would give away a prize, but this one's too easy. Where do you think the tunnel was from and to? Well, you know it was from Mexico to here. It's a U.S. to Mexico border. It's over our border to them. It's a secret solar-powered tunnel. And when I say it's a tunnel, from these pictures, it's tall. you can walk through it unobstructed. You don't have to, like, if you're tall like me, you don't have to bend down to walk through this tunnel. It is literally tall enough for you to just stroll on through there like it's a, you know, some kind of attraction at an amusement park. It's Baja, California and Mexico. The U.S. Border Patrol says agents discovered a solar-powered tunnel running through the U.S.-Mexico border. Mexico State Police and military units found the incomplete tunnel last month while conducting an operation in Jacum, Baja, California, Mexico. It was found at a home located approximately 221 feet south of the international boundary. And this is according to U.S. Customs and Border Protection spokesman Ralph DeSeo. Mexican officials took over the tunnel and authorized U.S. Border Patrol's Western Corridor Tunnel Tunnel Interdiction Group. So how often do they find tunnels from there to here? Enough for us to have a Western Corridor Tunnel Interdiction Group, say that five times fast, to enter the tunnel in order to map it and determine if the tunnel had an exit point in the United States. The tunnel is massive by most standards. Agents found the tunnel entry point had a shaft approximately 31 feet deep with a total length of 621, 627 feet, of which 336 feet were in the U.S. So half the tunnel was in the U.S. The tunnel's exit shaft, however, did not break the surface or have an exit point into the U.S. because they were still working on it. Agents found that the tunnel had a rail system running its entire length, They also found that solar panels powered electrical lighting and ventilation systems in the tunnel. It's unclear whether any arrests were made following the discovery. So I'm sorry, what was that again? Because the new wall designs that President Trump is trying to get funded by our Congress also include below the ground um, barriers. So things that are sunk into the ground that besides just the concrete footings that any normal fence or wall would have, These new wall designs also include below ground barriers that prevent tunneling. Why are we not just doing that? I'm telling you, he's been president for two years. I would have expected by this point in Donald Trump's presidency for us to be having a ribbon cutting ceremony at both ends of the wall simultaneously, simulcast across the world to show that walls work. That's why, where do you think the saying a good fence is a good neighbor comes from? I've had enough experience with that to know that a good fence is a great neighbor because a fence prevents your neighbor from putting their driveway on your property. A fence prevents your neighbor from putting up a bunch of trees and landscaping on what is your property. When someone puts a fence up and it's on your side of the property, they're basically saying that's my property. When people tunnel underneath the border, they're saying, yeah, this may be your border. 
but it's not our border because we don't go and come as we please. We don't use solar electric power to make sure we can get done what we need to get done. As Barack Obama was wont to say often during his presidency, that's not who we are. That tunnel is not who we are. We are the United States of America, a sovereign nation, one nation under God, and we have the best military. We have the best Army Corps of Engineers. And why we do not already have a wall stood up down there completed is beyond me. It's not the money. I just told you yesterday we're spending more money on illegal immigrant births than we would ever spend on that wall. And that's on a yearly basis, by the way. So we, we got we to get, we got to do better. And that means putting the wall up. After this um, thing that we have going on with the midterms, that is when I'm hoping that this little bit of fight, it was like something cool that we saw where the Republicans got a little bit, they got a little bit strong and they were like, we are not going to let Kavanaugh go down and we're going to actually stand up. And we're going to be firm. And then they were like, whoa, this firm thing works. I mean, I, I just can't tell you how Lindsey Graham has gotten hilarious. There are now videos of him smacking down verbally, verbally smacking down uh, protesters where they come at him and he just smiles, straightens up his tie and drops some truth on him and then looks at the camera like, did you catch that? I don't know what's been loosed in him or who pressed the easy button, you know, uh, Senator Graham, but eh, whatever it is. Let's have some more of that. And maybe he could rub shoulders with some of the other senators and they could get it too. Like maybe it's catching like a virus. They could just all be like that. It can't just be Senator Grassley, Senator McConnell and Senator Lindsey Graham. We can't just have three. We need a whole army of those guys to have that attitude. You know, it's one thing to rub something in someone's face. It's another thing to appropriately celebrate when you have vanquished something evil that was trying to rise up. And this is one of those times where we should be glad that Judge Kavanaugh is today wearing a black robe behind the 18-ton copper doors on the Supreme Court of the United States, asking questions of those who have sought the Supreme verdict. They've gone to the Supreme Court of the land. We should celebrate that. We should celebrate that innocent until proven guilty is still the law of the land in this country. Absolutely. There's no reason why we should feel sad about that actually happening. We got to have the right attitude about it. I know I do. I've been I've been getting my little shoulder dance on and I will continue to do so because I'm happy about it. I've been praising God, thanking him for his goodness and his mercy in this situation. All right. When we get back, we're going to have Gary Randall. He's going to be with us. Stay right there. Hello, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. For the last two years, we've just had tremendous response, early response to the announcement that we're going to Israel on a Holy Land tour. We're going March of this year. We go March of every year. Last year, we filled up like early fall, and I expect us to fill up early fall this year as well. So if you're interested in this March 14th through the 22nd tour, and you'll be going with primarily supporters of AFA and AFR, just get the brochure and check it out. You can call us today at 800-FAMILIES, 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your address, and we'll mail you a brochure. If you simply want to go online, all the information is there. It's at twholyland.com, twholyland.com. If you want to go, 
in March, we're filling up and we're filling up fast. So check it out, twholyland.com. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. A number of columnists and political thinkers have tried to explain why there is so much hate in the public arena. Shelby Steele is a senior fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. He has some profound insights on why the left is consumed with hate. He takes us back to the 1960s when this country finally accepted that slavery and segregation were profound moral failings. So the left put itself in charge of righting this wrong, thus giving it enormous political and cultural power. It also led to the greatest array of government-sponsored social programs in history that have cost more than $22 trillion. He believes that this amounted to a formula for power that goes something like this. The greater the menace to the nation's moral legitimacy, the more power redounded to the left. Soon they had compiled a laundry list of menaces. Racism was at the top of the list, but other bigotry ending in ism and phobia were also making the list. This has created a problem for the left. America has made significant progress in racial issues along with progress with many other issues. And this threatens the left whose existence is threatened by the diminishment of racial oppression. It must find racism anywhere it can in order to make itself relevant. The white-on-black shooting in Ferguson, Missouri, got lots of media attention and even a comment from the President of the United States. During that same period, thousands of black-on-black shootings took place in Chicago, hometown of the then-President, yet they inspired very little media coverage and no serious presidential commentary. Today, the left is troubled by its possible obsolescence. There is not enough social menace to service its need for power. It's easy to see why the left is consumed with hate. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. And um, head over to AFR.net. You can find uh, program listings for all of the fantastic content there. You can go to UrbanFamilyTalk.com and find the same. And uh, God bless. Thanks for being here. Now, let's welcome our next guest to the program, Pastor Randall. Um, His name's Gary Randall, Senior Pastor of the Apostolic Sanctuary of the Quad Cities. Pastor Randall, thanks for coming on today. Stacy, thank you so much. Um, I want to say how much I love your program. I love you and your stand for Christian conservative values. Uh, You are absolutely awesome. And I am awesomeized to be on the fabulous Stacey on the Right Show. Well, thank you very much. I'm very humbled by your your um, your kind words, and I I definitely I don't take any for granted. I definitely feel like you know when I come on here, I I have to be ready, and I want Absolutely. to be presenting the truth because I feel like when there's an absence of truth and it's so rare, then you you have to really be willing to. You, you have to go all in. And I know you do that as a pastor. You have people who are listening to you and looking to you for your guidance and the truth. And they're taking what you're saying and they're running with it. And you take that very seriously. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough thing. It's, it's like, it sounds like a lot of fun, but it's really a tough thing. You know, it's, it's, it it's, it's not the easy button. Um, right. So let's talk about the civility issue. 
we've been talking since yesterday and, and before that, really, when we were watching the protesters. But really, it came to a head yesterday when both Hillary Clinton and and the former top law enforcement official in the entire country, Eric Holder, basically said there is no civility unless Democrats are in charge. That was Hillary. And Eric Holder, when they go low, kick them. Unreal. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, what? <laughs> because I know I can on this show, I'm going to start with the scripture. Yes. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Mm-hmm. He loved everybody. But I believe that the enemy uh, is doing what he can to cause division through social and political means. Uh, you look at our political system today, it's falling all over the two extreme sides of our political system and leaving the majority of our citizens just floundering in the middle somewhere. Um, you, you mentioned Hillary Clinton and you mentioned Eric Holder and Let's be honest and transparent. Our our president is either perceived or is divisive, depending on what seat you're sitting in. But he most certainly knows what to say to motivate his base and even mortify his op- opposition. You look at Antifa and, you know, do what we say or we're going to hurt you. And the, the feminists that want to lock up uh, Kavanaugh without proof. And even Democrat uh, Senator Hirono chasing Republicans out of restaurants isn't too far. Um, I do want to commend our former First Lady Michelle Obama, for her rebuke and standing by her words that when mm-hmm. they go low, we go high. Yeah. Uh, her call for thinking about how we want our next generation to be raised is very powerful. But I think what our issue is, we need to learn from the past, we need to live in the present, and we need to prepare for our future. It's only going to happen if we come together in unity and love and allow our differences to challenge us, but use our commonality to change us from hateful and bitter to helpful and better. If we don't stop the name callings and realize that we are, all have more in common than we have differences, we will never, ever have civility in our country again. And, and so let's be real here. Um, and, and I think this is what makes people so angry, but I have to just go straight to the heart of the matter, which is if you only believe in civility when you're the boss— mm that you don't really believe in civility. I mean, isn't that almost a biblical thing where if I only believe that God's word is true when the, the, the word <laughs> says stuff I like, do I really believe God's word? I mean, I'm just asking, you know, just you wondering. Know, I'm famous for saying this from our pulpit. I am more scared of God than I am everybody in this room mm. because I have a responsibility to him to stand with the word of God. With that being said, Stacey, I believe our lack of civility uh, seems to be political on the surface, but I believe it is spiritual in its root. Mm-hmm. Only if the church doesn't lose focus and allow itself to be dragged into politics instead of the purpose of the church, which is to win the lost and share the gospel and love the world and stand in unity, we're not going to see it. See, that this, I believe, is the church's greatest hour, and I, and I know it is, it is sad, it is sick, it's perverted, I heard an old elder of the church say it like this one time, the darker the night, the brighter the light. Mm-hmm. So the light of Jesus is going to shine through if the church will stay focused. So our issue is praying for a spirit of discernment, because you cannot fight a spiritual battle in the flesh. Every battle we are facing traces its roots back to spiritual. And instead, we are fighting people when we need to be fighting principalities, and the, and the results will always be bitter and divisive. And I'm going to quote another scripture, actually several. 
But Ephesians 6 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Mm-hmm. Put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Preach. We'll take on the whole armor of God that you will be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. And I believe that our ability to stand in power is directly related to the church's willingness to kneel in prayer. Mm-hmm. Every great revival through the history of the church was preceded by a call to prayer. And I am telling you, I'm seeing more pastors calling their people to prayer. Our church is open from about 5.30 in the morning till 9 o'clock at night, and there is somebody in our prayer room all hours of the day. And you know what we're seeing? We're seeing more people baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and filled with His Spirit than we have ever seen before, because the frustrations of fear are leading people to a response of faith. And it kind of reminds me of an old song, at least we used to sing it in our church. When you've tried everything, Mm. and everything has failed, try Jesus. So Jesus is going to be the answer to the lack of civility. I don't know if we're ever going to get to a point where everybody's going to love everybody on the surface. But I will tell you this, the president won't bring it, the Republicans won't bring it, the Democrats won't bring it, the independents won't bring it. The only way it's going to come is if we let the peace speaker, order the steps of the church, and control our actions. Because there's a big difference between reacting, which is what the spirit of this world wants us to do, have a knee-jerk or a fleshly-driven reaction, or to respond, which is spirit-led. Now, I'm a firm believer the church needs to attack, but we need to attack through prayer. We need to respond, but it needs to be through prayer. The church with the must truth. be the church that God is building, otherwise it's in vain. What does the Bible say? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. That's right. But, so and, and all of that has allow- to happen. All of that has America's to happen. Allow- America, I'm sorry. America is having a loud call back to prayer. And I talk about that here on the show. I, there's a yes, book ma'am. that I talk about all the time to the point of some people saying, well, now you can stop talking about it. Now you're on AFR. No, actually, it's the opposite. It's the, op- the, the truth is, this book, it's called Growing in Prayer. I always keep it nearby. We have like five copies here at the house. I've given them away. It's called Growing in Prayer. It's by Pastor Mike Bickle. He's the pastor of the International House of Prayer, where they have t- prayer there 24 hours a day. Absolutely. And he has gone out and founded churches that are international houses of prayer all over the world. And the book is really the, like the encyclopedia of prayer. So it doesn't replace the Bible, but what it does is it explains how prayer is it's not just a tool it's a it's a way of life it's not just a lifestyle cuz lifestyles are things that you can you know you can kind of adopt and put down whenever you want it's it is the way for believers to operate as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ here on this earth and when Absolutely. you talk about civility you know when when people are uncivil when the bible says if you hate your neighbor then you hate god because you can't see god but you can see your neighbor and so yeah. when we talk about operating in hate, when people are hating other people, they're really hating God, and they're standing Absolutely. in rebellion against him. And so the uncivility that we're seeing, the screaming, the you know beating up people who are just standing around, all the stuff that's going on that we're seeing from activists, they're operating on behalf of their father, which is Satan, 
And our go. response has to be that we operate on behalf of our Father in heaven, which we, we know who's winning in the end. We've all read Revelation. We know how this ends, but we got to walk there. We have to get gotta there. got to walk it. That's gotta right. Walk and the so, walk and talk the talk. Exactly. Hey, Stacey, there, was, there was an elderly African-American lady in my dad's church years ago, Sister Fanny King. I love this lady. Mm-hmm. I miss her. She was, she was such a rock. She would get up and testify back when we used to have testimony services. And mm-hmm. she would always start by saying this, I love everybody in this place. And if you don't love me, you better not die. <laughs> and what she was saying is, we can't go to heaven if we don't love the people that are around us. We're not going to heaven. So there is a spirit of this world that's fighting against the spirit of heaven. And I, I also had, she used to quote the scripture just a little bit different, but she would say that greater is he that is with us than he that is after us. Mm-hmm. And I believe the spirit of the world is after the church. And the church can only combat this lack of civility if we will fight it in the spirit. We cannot fight it in the flesh. We cannot fight it by going word for word or, or standing out in the protest. we got to fight it by falling on our knees in a prayer room and interceding for America. We do. And the prayer is the first step, but faith is an action word. And I, I, I push for people to, the first thing we have to do is address our own issues. If we're go. not, we, if we don't have that daily appointment with God where we're praying, and, and this is the first thing you do in the daytime. And I know right. for most parents, with especially if the kids are smaller, you think there is no first thing in the daytime. I get up, kids are already up, I'm, I'm, I'm running to chase. You have to get up earlier so that you can spend some time with the Lord before you start your day. And then Absolutely. after that, it's, it's the daily continual communication with our Father in Heaven. And then beyond that, it's speaking the truth in love. And once we get our, ourselves lined up with what He has for us, then He gives us the courage to say, you know what, to that coworker or someone that we may encounter that's struggling and they say, I just don't know what I'm going to do about this. That's when you can say, why can I pray with you? You know, people are open to that. It's amazing. I I was watching something where this lady was talking about how they went to New York city and they went to do missions in New York city. Now we don't hear about this a lot. Do we pastor? No, no. So you go, they went there, a team of them. Most of them were younger, but of course they had a, a good number of adults and they set up a table in central park. Mm. And the table said, what's your problem? How can I pray for you? So they were expecting to get jeered at and for, you know, to get made fun of. And they had kind of, you know, steal themselves. And it was kind of cold. So they had on jackets and hats and gloves. And they're standing there. Within moments, they had 50 people lined up. They wanted to pray. So they started, they broke out. And, you know, you pray one-on-one with someone. And she said they stood there. They literally were on their feet the whole day. And they never had fewer than 25 to 30 people in line. At some points, they had 100 people waiting to pray. People of all faith walks. So it wasn't just Christians, people who had never been to church before. And she said by the end of the day, she was so full. I mean, just amazingly, it's like God built her up during the experience. But also, she said she couldn't believe what she heard people asking for prayer about the hurt, the pain, the sorrow that these people are carrying around and they don't know God. So after they pray for you, they'll say, would you like me to pray the, you know, the prayer of faith? Would you like to know more about Jesus Christ and how you can be saved? And a lot of people came to the Lord. And as she was talking, I could just feel this, you know, there's a sense of shame for us as Christians that we don't see 
New York City, St. Louis, you know, Baltimore as mission fields, places where we can go put a table up and pray with hurting people. And we're not talking about just homeless folks. She said it was some well-heeled, you know, people who were wearing fancy, you know, those $200 jogging pants and stuff like that, coming through the park and seeing an opportunity to have someone pray for their problems and immediately just coming over. So there's a place for all of these different things. But as you said, it's prayer first. There, there are enough hurting people out there that are waiting on a Christian to say, oh, wow, can I pray with you? To take down their burden with them, to cry with them, to hug them, to let them know that God is waiting for them to turn to him so that he can answer their prayers. People want to know these things, and we have to tell them. It, that's why we're here. So I exactly. just think the civility, what, it's what? a good discussion, but what? I mean, what are we what? really doing? So what, yeah, because what happens in the prayer room, you're either, you're either just going in there for a facade or you're going to walk out of there different, different with the mission and the purpose of the church. And so I tell our people, when you walk out of these doors, you are either a missionary or you're a mission field. In other words, you're going to go out and share this gospel or we still got some working to do on you. Because whether it, whoever God puts in your, in your, in your path for that day, red, yellow, black, and white, doesn't matter what language they speak, what culture they have uh, as a background. It doesn't matter. If they are here in the Quad Cities, then God has, has ordained us to reach out to them in love. And I believe the more that we can spread the effect of our prayer into the streets of our cities, we will be able to tear down the, the spirit of division that has destroyed the civility here in the United States of America. But the Church, faith without works. So, yes, we've got to pray, but then we've got to get out of the four, side, four, four sides of our, our buildings mm-hmm. and get out there. God spoke to me a couple of months ago very, very strongly and vividly that we were really good at the busyness of the kingdom, but we were lacking in the king's business. Now, we have guests every service, uh, Stacey, a very multicultural, multiracial church, but we were not having the revival, the reaping of the harvest that God had promised us until we've done this shifting. And so our focus has now been outward, not, not the people just coming in and sitting on the pews and saying, okay, what are you going to do for me today? But it's the body of Christ getting so fired up and excited about the relationship with God that they're going to go out and find somebody that they can witness to and see their lives changed. Mm. Fantastic. We always love it when you come on. Oh, pastor Gary Randall, Senior Pastor of the Apostolic Sanctuary of the Quad Cities. Thank you for your time today and for that good word. Thank you, Stacey. Love you. Have a good day. All right. Talk to you again soon. We'll be back with more. We'll also take some calls at 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. Stay there. What does it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. My best friend Donnie Shell was named to the Pro Bowl five times and won four Super Bowls during his NFL career. But the first thing I noticed about him was not his athletic ability. It was his Christian lifestyle. You can see his relationship with Christ in his manner, talk, the way he treats people, and the decisions he makes in his family life and in his business. How about us? When it comes to telling others about Jesus, we should follow Donnie's lead. 
always ready to share what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Don't worry about knowing all the scripture verses or about teaching the Bible to someone. Just share your story. Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. just wanted to say that I've been a listener to Urban Family Talk for two years now. I just found you on the radio one day. I was longing for a radio station that, you know, spoke on the true gospel of Jesus and um, was just only mixed with the gospel, and you're perfect for that. So I've been an avid listener. I listen every day. Um, I even have my husband. I'm a born-again Christian. My husband is not. But he loves your station, and he listens to it all the time, and he's always talking about it. So you are ministering to a lost soul every day. And I just wanted to say, keep doing what you're doing. You are very much needed in the world today. We need a place that will tell us the truth. So thank you so much. Let's impact even more lives. Partner with us for our three-day share starting Tuesday, October 16th, here on listener-supported Urban Family Talk. Fox on Tech. Careful what you download from the App Store. Forbes recently found that some seemingly simple utility apps are charging customers upwards of 4700 bucks a year per user. Apple said just last year that they're paying closer attention after a VPN app was charging 400 bucks a month for a subscription. But it seems some apps still sneak through, like Tiny Lab's QR code reader. After you download the app, open it, and click the start button, you may inadvertently agree to their subscription plan, which is four bucks a week or 156 bucks a year for an app that should be free. Armor VPN, another utility, is free to download but comes with a $10 a week subscription fee. Browse the app reviews and you'll see a lot of unhappy users and an average rating of 2.7 out of 5. Free apps with in-app purchases aren't uncommon, so how can you avoid getting overcharged? Take a minute to read reviews about the app and carefully read the charges you'll face should you subscribe to any apps. With Fox on Tech, I'm Brett Larson, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I think that the hardest thing about the House map is that there are 43 Republican retirements, including in states like New Jersey and California, where you had long-term Republican members mm-hmm. in seats that, in 23 seats, frankly, that even uh, the, per- the woman who lost that election had carried in 2016. And so that's tough, but this president, he's out there saying, hey, a vote for this person is a vote for my agenda, and he can do that. Now, having said all that, uh, let's not forget the same geniuses that predicted a huge romp by that woman who lost in 2016 are the same people predicting a huge win by the Democrats this time. So we have to be a little bit cautious. I hear that often when I'm out on the campaign trail in my personal time. Mm -hmm. People say, hey, I don't believe these polls because it comes from the same media that's 92 percent negative in their coverage about President Trump and his administration. And so they're and and that's not going to deter them from showing up. Mm. So. You know, I I don't believe any of the the prognostications of doom and gloom, and we'll just have to wait and see. But it's important that we go and vote. You just got to vote. That's it. Vote, vote, vote. Compare. Use your scripture. Pray. Vote. So now I want to talk a little bit about the media not using the mob word. There's this mashup 
of them telling people they can't use that word, which tells you it was a coordinate, coordinated effort. It came from on high. They all had it in their email box that morning. We're not using the word mob to describe our protesters. They're ours. They're doing our work. We want to support them. We're not going to allow them to be smeared. The Tea Party, they're a mob. The uh, attendees of Donald Trump's rally, those are mobs. These people are not mobs. And so that's what they did. Um, actually, let's go to the phones and then we'll listen to that audio clip. Martin in Texas, thank you so much for calling the show today. Yes, Stacey. Uh, Martin, I've been watching from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock ever since you came on AFA and enjoy it very much. I'm always looking to get it whenever I can. Uh, what you. I'm calling about is, uh, what I'm calling about is, is about we were talking about the wall. I don't understand why President Trump doesn't use E-Verify uh, so the people would get fined if they have a legal and also withhold welfare from the people. This would take the magnet of money away. The people would leave on their own, but they don't seem to do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand it either. So the E-Verify is a simple thing, but again, we've had many people come on the program and talk about how it's not bipartisan, really. It looks like it's... The Republicans want it and the Democrats, some of them want it and some don't. But the truth is there are Republicans who are affiliated with the Chamber of Commerce who like the cheap labor. And so E-Verify is not something they want. It, it's, it doesn't get done because they don't want it done, because if they wanted it done and they have a simple majority in the Senate and they have you know a, a, an actual majority in the House and they have a Republican president, it would have already been done by now. But remember the different... Republicans who were upset when the proposal was brought forward by the president and it was all this talk about how it was racially motivated. And even some Republicans were saying that. And Paul Ryan, who was in leadership until just recently, Paul Ryan is one of those people who doesn't believe in stronger border enforcement or the wall or E-Verify, which is odd because, you know, you would think he's such a staunch Republican and he was the vice president on Mitt Romney's presidential ticket. So it's they don't want it. It has to be that they don't want it, because if they wanted it, they could have gotten it done already. I think the president could do an executive order and get it done anyway. I wonder, because it seems like he would do that, right? He does want to get it done. I wonder, or maybe he's worried that if he does it by executive order, then it'll be all the lawsuits. Remember when he did the executive order about... um, the countries that he didn't want refugees coming from there because those countries had no operational consulates and, you know, basically they couldn't vet the people. And then there were like 16 lawsuits. Maybe that's why he's not doing it. I hope he will. I certainly think we should like tweet him and let him know, hey, we Americans think you could do an executive order. At least that would last for two years or six years if, he, you know, if he's reelected. So great suggestion, Martin. Thank you for calling the I think all the Republicans would be behind him with the- with the conservatives and I think the independents and thank you. Sure. Thanks. Uh, I think some of them would, but I don't think they all would because if they all would, he could just do legislation. They could get the legislation done, push it through and make it happen. Um, So now I want to listen to this audio. It's a mashup. You know, the Washington free beacon does all the the mashups. They're so awesome. Um, Don't use the mob word. It's number two. Oh, you're not going to use the mob word They are protesting. They are not an angry mob. (laughs) We're subhuman. We're done being polite. Answer your question that you asked her. Is it mob behavior? No, it's not. not. He's created this idea of a mob. But calling them mobs in in the way that the leader McConnell has done is just wrong. In the Constitution. 
you can protest whenever and wherever you want. We believe in It's a go watch put up the video of stop stop. Excuse me ma'am are you trying to assault me? This is assault. In this kind of like racialized mob language, this kind of Nixonian law and order language that we're hearing. The angry mob, the angry mob, the angry mob, even though these were just peaceful protesters. Republicans are are running on this idea that the left is an angry mob. Wherever you come down on Brett Kavanaugh, describing protesters as a mob doesn't fit the facts. That's not a mob. Kill her three-year-old child. Which side was more mob-like? Clearly, it was the Republicans. The president is trying to go too far with some of this rhetoric, you know, his talk of uh, mob rule and so on. Mm -hmm. I mean, Brooke, have you have you been to a Trump rally? Rushing to the top of the steps of the Supreme Court and now besieging uh, the front door of the Supreme Court. Sunday's found peace into the abyss. So, <laughs> what you heard there was the media type saying they're not a mob; they're peaceful. They can protest whenever they want. And then you heard sounds of them literally assaulting people. The one where she says they want to increase the ability to abort a baby up until they're three years old. The guy she was talking to who was he looked like he was preparing to assault her summarily roundhouse kicked her in the face when she said that he was arrested. He's been charged with assault and, and uh, a bunch of other things. But. um, Yeah, that is what you just saw and heard there. And that's just a tip of the iceberg. Remember, I wrote a piece for America's First Freedom about Antifa and all of their their numerous violent incidents. And then there was um, also a list on the Daily Caller. It's still there of all of the assaults that they can attribute to Antifa. And if you think these people are any different, they, they're just told because this isn't an Antifa rally or, or a protest. They show up without their black block gear. And they show up with, you know, they bring women with them. There are always women in Antifa protests. And they're, they're protesting Kavanaugh. That's what they were doing. And there's still a few of them there. And so it, it's not about smearing them as a mob. They are a mob. It is about calling them what they are. And that's important. When you're told you, who you can and can't criticize, they're the ones who are in charge. The ones you're not allowed to tell the truth about, they're the ones who have the most power over you. If we are told we can't criticize the protest movement, it means the protest movement is above all of us taxpaying, God-fearing, hardworking Americans who we're running this thing, right? It's not the government employees who are running this thing. Our salaries pay those government employees. It's us. And that's why we have to be you have to be courageous. There's no backing down in the face of this. There is no, well, we just, we can't, we can't do an investigation into Christine Ford and her lies. We can't investigate the Democrats who leaked the memo. We, we can't, yes, we can. And we absolutely should do that. People should be prosecuted. The next time someone thinks, you know, 
I seem to remember that guy who they've put up for the next Supreme Court justice. I think he assaulted me. Let me think about it for four or five days. And then a Democratic attorney shows up and helps walk you through your memories. The person should be thinking, even though that could be something that happened, I don't have a concrete memory of it. And more importantly, I'm not willing to go to jail. I'm not willing to be fined thousands of dollars. I'm not willing to have to tell my boss that I need to take you know, six months off from work so I can go serve out a jail sentence for perjuring myself. That is what should be, the because certain people, that's how they need, that's what they need. They need to know what the punishment is in order for them to be able to decide whether or not they're going to do wrong. They can't just say, this is ridiculous. I don't remember anything about him. Get out of my face. Just because I went to high school with him doesn't mean he sexually assaulted me. No, some people have to know, okay, So if I help you with this, if I remember something that you want me to remember, what happens if I get prosecuted? And then when they find out, oh, the last person who did that was actually fined so much money and had to serve some time in jail, they'll think, well, yeah, I may do, I may actually remember something like that if you help me, but I'm not willing to serve jail time if it doesn't stand up. So forget it. So am I saying that sexual assault victims should be discouraged from coming forward? No, but there is, there has to be an equal ability for men to be innocent until proven guilty, just like women are. There had, that has to exist. We have to keep that. We can't let that go. And there are other things we can do to lower the incidence of sexual assault, but nobody wants, on the left wants to hear it. You know, all these underage drinking parties, encouraging our daughters to be wise, telling our daughters, look, there, there just isn't anything great that happens after midnight out with mixed, uh, you know, mixed couples. If you're drinking and you're out with a bunch of guys, you're doing the wrong thing. Here's what could happen to you. This this is how we have to talk to our daughters. We have to talk to them to teach them to be wise with their bodies. We have to teach them that you want to be a virgin until your wedding night. Woo, radical. Somebody's head just lit on fire. What what are we going to do? Somebody break out the fire extinguishers and put put the people out. They're on fire. They're, They're raging mad. All you have to do is talk about women being responsible. Well, you're letting men off the hook. You're saying men can do whatever they want if you drink and you go out. I'm not saying that. We also should talk to our sons. These drinking parties, these keggers, all this stuff about I need I in order to have fun, we have to have alcohol. Is that godly? The Bible says don't be overtaken with wine and drunkenness. That that drink is for people who have sorrows. That's what it says. So if you're gonna drink. You know, people say drink responsibly, but how can someone whose brain is not even fully developed, boys' brains don't fully develop until they're 25, how can someone whose brain isn't fully developed drink responsibly? And this is the kind of stuff, well, someone will be emailing me, they're doing it right now, they're like typing super fast and they're mad, you're a Puritan. You just don't want anyone to have any fun because you don't have any fun, and then they'll make a whole bunch of spurious comments about my life and, you know, my husband, et cetera, et cetera, which... You don't know what's going on with me and my husband, and we've been married for almost 25 years, so I think everything's fine, but I don't have to justify myself to you. I'm not telling you this because it's my idea. It's what the Bible says we're supposed to do. And then the evidence points to the Bible being true because studies show that people who wait until they're married to have sex stay married longer. They have a lower incidence of divorce. And they have a better sex life well into their 70s and 80s. In other words, they're elderly and they're still able to enjoy each other because they did it God's way. That's some stuff. Some people just don't want to hear that. 
well, the sexual revolution says women can have the same kind of fun that men can have and they can sow their wild oats. So sow them. But if you're going to sow your wild oats, you're going to also reap those wild oats. And when you're reaping from those wild oats, it's not right for you to want to make new laws and make the rest of us have to live by the decisions that you've made. And that is the conversation that we have to have with our kids. You're going to go out into this world and you're going to do whatever you want because that will be your right. You move out of the house and you're an adult and you get to make your own choices. But here's what lies down this path. Sexual diseases, you know, sexually transmitted diseases, sexual dysfunction, and a lot of heartache and, and really just ravaged spirits from engaging in what the culture tells you, this will make you feel good, you will feel empowered, you'll be just like the men. You are not a man, you are a young woman, and God didn't make you to be just like men, he made you to be a woman, an image bearer of Christ as men are, but in the way that women bear the image of Christ. And the same for our sons. They're going to tell you that the first thing you need to do is you need to be having sex with at least two or three people because you want to be experienced. But God's word says differently. We talk to our kids about this. We tell them that they're going to go out and make their own decisions. You're not going to be able to control them 24 seven. But if you really care about them and you love them and you want them to avoid these pitfalls and not be an angry, screaming protester raging out because your life is horrible because you've made terrible, terrible mistakes. That's what you're seeing. These temper tantrums from these grown-ups, they're angry because their lives are horrible and they know it's their own fault. They want to blame Judge Kavanaugh, but it's not him. It's them. As parents, it's our job to tell our kids these things. We can't be embarrassed to talk about sex. Do you want them to know the truth or not? You tell them. You give them what God has told to us that we are to tell them. Lead them in the path that is right so that they won't stray from it. That's today's show. Good evening from the heartland. God bless you. Be with you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.